Powell Windows and Doors of Wisconsin's wide range of beautiful wood designs can be painted, stained, or unfinished to complement any decor. Put no money down, no payment, and no interest for up to 24 months. Visit PowellWI.com. Expires 9-30-2022. Certain restrictions apply. See showroom for details. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So, Mike Spaulding, before you leave, this morning I was at this seminar that our friends Bruce and Gene Nimovitz have been putting on at, at Burner Botanical Garden. Hundreds of WTMJ listeners were there. And you know what? The number one question I was asked, besides what Mike, what is Mike Spaulding really like? I mean, that, <laughs> that a lot of people were asking, what's Mike Spaulding really like? And I'm a really nice guy. But the number one question I was asked is, when are you moving? You know, is the move still on? When are you moving? And we, we have... We, we have a better idea. I got the memo today saying a week from Tuesday now will be our first show, at least on WTMJ. It'll be our first show from our new location at the Avenue. Now that it's on the precipice of actually happening, doesn't it feel like it was a lot of hurry up or, or a lot of waiting? And then all of a sudden it was like, hey, by the way, in two weeks we're going. I, it just seems like it's sped up so much at the end. But Well, the, the way I know it's really going to happen is for the longest time I was – I was sort of like in this blissful ignorance, but now, now they've given me, I, I have my, I have my pass that supposedly gets me into the parking lot, and I, that's what I'm saying, supposedly, that supposedly gets me into the, the GKB offices. But today, it, it became official, because I, I have, I have a, I, I'm, I'm one of the few people around here who, who still, I have a lap, I have a, a desktop computer mm-hmm. at, at my and and it's and it's it's perfectly fine. I come in, I sit down at my desk, I have that. Now most of our employees don't have that, but when we move to the avenue, I, I don't have a desk anymore. I just have like find find whatever space you you want. That, that's okay. I'm, I, it doesn't bother me. I'm, I'm fine with that. But I, I, I need, they needed to give me a computer. I've never had a GKB issued laptop. So right before I came on the air, one of our ACE engineers came, and I was kind of curious I, where I stood in the pecking order because I was wondering if this was going to be some old computer that, you know, somebody who <laughs> you know, somebody weighs who, nine pounds right, yeah. or something like that. No, it is a brand new, you know, brand new laptop. It is still in the box. And the memo was here. Just just open it up, and you'll find the instructions. You'll be able to figure it work. So I know this has got to happen because now, now I have the official company issued uh, laptop as yeah. well. In the newsroom, we're like in the final throes of moving. It's Eric and I look at everything and go, "Do we keep or do we toss?" And uh, most of it's getting tossed. But right. it, it's you know you're you're combing through the bottom of the drawer where you're looking at things that were issued to us in 2013. Like we've reached that point. Today. Right. That it's right. My, my advice is, and take it from somebody who moved out of a house that he lived in for you know 30 plus years that, that if the general philosophy is toss <laughs> you know that, that that and and that was that was i think i've told the story i went through i was on a first name basis with the dumpster guy when we moved out of the house at whitefish bay eight dumpsters full of wow. stuff when well, some of it was like construction stuff because we were getting the house ready to, to sell but there was a lot of um I've told this story before. I, I up in the attic. I mean, I've, I've got boxes and boxes of my class notes from law school. Now, why? Why I thought I did? I think there was going to be a Jeff Wagner Presidential Library someday. So I decided to keep my my notes from Torts class in 1979. I don't know, but I I had them, and you know, and, and I admit, even 
even as I'm tossing them, there was this one little moment of pang going, well, bad, <laughs> get rid of them. Yeah, my parents are, are in the process of downsizing and, you know, having, you know, moved out. My, my parents kept both mine and my brother's, like, a lot of our stuff, and they keep saying, like, you have to go down to the basement or into the attic, and you have to throw it away. Like, you, I, we for some reason have kept art projects from fourth grade, the very stereotypical parent move. And my mom's like, I just can't, I can't physically bring myself to put it in a dumpster. So one of these days we're going to have to go down there. But yeah, no, it's very exciting. Are you going to go down to the avenue before we officially move in and scope it out and see it? Or are you going to sit down day one and be blissfully surprised? Um, I am told I have to go down. I, 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 I got this, I got this memo where, where Ms. Kelly, it said, okay, we're going to schedule a time on Monday where, it, and the note said, this is mandatory, you know, which means, I think that was kind of directed at me, so that they want to, and it makes sense, they want to show us, I've actually seen the studios, but not as constructed. I saw them while construction was going on underway, and so the memo was a week from Monday, a command performance, come down there so you don't just walk in and... You know, so they'll show you, you know, where the computer things are and these giant consoles that we have in front of us. Um, there's there's all sorts of bells and whistles. You know, when, we do, when people do tours and they, they look, and I've got this console in front of me that's got, you know, 12 or 15 different levers and all these flashing lights, and they think that you really must know something to work them. And I always say, <laughs> you know, I, I'm only allowed to push three buttons and one in an emergency. So there's only a total of four buttons. All this other stuff, I have no idea what it does. Yeah, no, it does look very impressive. I will say, a little sneak peek, Jeff, we're going to be a lot closer to each other. I don't know who, who knows what it looks like in this studio, but we sit across from each other from right. a, a large desk. We're going to be next to each other now. Really? Yeah. Well, not like right next to shoulder to shoulder, <laughs> but fairly close. Okay. Yeah, be nice. Oh, abso- absolutely. You know, absolutely. So I don't have to like wave at you from across the room. No, in yeah. any event, to answer that question, the move is in fact happening. Uh, all right. I'm, I'm trying to do something in my own little way, that the mainstream media refuses to do in this election cycle. So if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I, I've, I've had a, I had a number of postings. One of the things that, that's particularly aggravating to me about the election th- this year, and I, I had Ron Johnson on yesterday in the 2.30 hour of the program, and Ron Johnson is a controversial figure. I understand that. People love him. People hate him. So I, I get I get that. Uh, but one of the things that's been so frustrating to me is that there has been almost no critical or searching coverage of where his opponent, Mandela Barnes, is on issues. Not, almost almost none at all. And it's incredibly frustrating. And I, I think the reason, at least in my mind, is this bias that exists in parts of the mainstream media that they don't want to expose how radical and how extreme Mandela Barnes is on the left, because the concern is, hey, if we talk about these things, it's going to turn some people off. So I'm trying in my own little way to focus on some things. Mandela Barnes is joined at the hip with something called the Working Families Party. I mean, he was they have endorsed him. He has been a proud proponent of it for years. And as near as I can tell, is pretty much aligned with their various policies, which interestingly is getting no coverage at all. So I've got a couple links to 
things that are included in the the charter of Mandela Barnes's Working Families Party. For example, the manifesto calls for things, and I've got links to. If you follow me on Twitter, I, I've got links to this. The manifesto calls for things like nationalizing oil and gas companies. Seriously, they want to nationalize energy companies. And my question would be, why isn't anybody asking Mandela Barnes on where he stands on, I don't know, having the government take over, you know, oil and gas companies? Like, how well is that working out in Venezuela? All right, the Working Families Party, their manifesto seeks to cancel student debt that they describe as an unfair burden on working and middle-class young adults. We're not talking about a $10,000 relief. We're talking about canceling student debt. All right, where, where is the reporter saying, Mandela, where are you on, on getting rid of all student debt? Be specific. The Working Families Party wants government to get this, guarantee universal child care. So you, you don't you don't have to worry about taking care of your children anymore. They want to guarantee, have the government guarantee paid family and medical leave, the government guarantee paid sick days, and the government guarantee income support for parents taking care of their kids full time. You know, where is some reporter somewhere saying, Mandela, do you agree with this? And if so, how are you going to pay for it? I ask these various questions, and I'm going to continue to do this over the course of the next month or so, because... In order to make an intelligent decision to vote, what you have to do is you have to know where the candidates stand on issues. And this has been a campaign, at least as played out so far in the mainstream media, where there doesn't appear to be any discussion of issues except Ron Johnson bad, Ron Johnson evil, with no examination of how far to the left his opponent is. Now, if that's what you decide you want to vote for, okay, that that's fine. If you want to vote for somebody who I believe believes that we should take over, have the government take over oil and gas companies and nationalize energy companies, okay, then then cast your vote accordingly. But know what you're getting into. And there's more and more examples of that. So if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I'm trying in my own little way to point out some of these issues that I do not hear anyone else discussing. Charlie, who's producing the show, I almost don't know what to say. Be, all right, in, in our old studios, we are we, we have a, a big picture window that kind of looks out on the hallway, and I was looking at something during the break, and all of a sudden my eyes catch because I see up, I look up because there's like flashing lights, and it's Eric Bilstadt and Vince Vetrano from our morning news who are playing with like lightsabers. That's what it looks like, those, you know, the, the things from like Star Wars and stuff, and they're play fighting with, with lightsabers, which I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, I wonder how that's going to go over when you're doing that, like at our new digs at, at the Avenue or something like that. But I'm telling you, that's kind of like pulling back the, um, pulling back the scenes that are going on there. Um, the Marquette University Law School poll, and you can take, you know, you can, figure out how you feel about, you know, polls one way or the other. We've talked about that. Um, new results are going to be dropping any minute. We will at least give you the horse race perspective on what the major elections look like from their perspectives. And again, you can, you can decide, you can decide whether you want to believe them or you can decide whether you don't, but it's, it's always interesting to see. Uh, another day, 
Another crime update. And for, for people who might be wondering if it's getting better in the main streets of Milwaukee, it, it's, it's not. You know, the story that I think caught everybody's attention yesterday was 6 o'clock Monday evening. Woman who lives off of 85th and Stickney in Wauwatosa. And this is a, it's a nice residential area. This is Stickney's, um, just a little bit south of North Avenue. And this is, it's 85th Street. So it's kind of between, you know, 76th Street, where the library is, and kind of halfway between where Mayfair Shopping Center is. This isn't a high-crime neighborhood. She's sitting in her Mercedes SUV. It's parked in the driveway. Her child is in the back. Six o'clock at night, and she's carjacked at gunpoint. Carjacked at gunpoint. She begs the carjacker to allow her to get her kid out of the car, and, and they do. Then the car drives off and ultimately is involved in a crash. There was a second car that was apparently the chase car. By that, I mean, I think it, it had dropped off the carjacker. That's stolen as well. That car ends up running a red light, turning over and hitting people. Don't have the announcement yet on, on the people that were convicted or charged. But once once they catch them, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that you're going to have people with lengthy criminal records who are out on the street. But it's 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 not, of course, just confined to a point where you can no longer be safe sitting in your driveway at six o'clock at night in Wauwatosa. You're getting more and more stories, including the story on Brady Street. If you haven't followed it um, early this morning, about one forty a.m., four people were shot a block off of Bla- Brady Street. Of course, you know, Brady Street, one of the, the the big locations in the east side for lots of businesses and lots of apartments and things like that. At Hamilton and Arlington Place, about one forty in the morning, one person is in grave condition, which is not a good situation. According to Milwaukee police, 23-year-old Milwaukee man, a 29-year-old Milwaukee man, and a 36-year-old Milwaukee woman suffered serious but non-fatal injuries. They were taken to the hospital. They're stable. They're expected to survive. 28-year-old Milwaukee man suffered life-threatening injuries. He's taken to the hospital and is in grave condition. That's that's not a good sign at all. All. So you have that story, four people shot on Brady Street. Then you have the officer-involved shooting that occurred last night near 33rd and Cherry. For people who, who haven't heard about this, about 9 o'clock at night, um, police, three Milwaukee police officers atti- assigned to the Tactical Enforcement Unit. This is this is like the, the squad. Um, this is the... This is the, the like the tactical squad, you know, like SWAT team and stuff, they report to um, shots fired in the area. Um, they get there, and what they find is that uh, one person ends up dead. Here's here's what happens once the cops show up. When officers arrived in the area, gunshots struck, struck their squad car. So, okay, there's shots being fired. The cops respond. They are shot at. Um, the officers are nearly hit. Their car is hit. Officers get out of the squad, engage three suspects. At least one was armed with a handgun. They fire. One suspect, a 40-year-old Milwaukee man, was struck several times. He dies. The other two flee. But but here's one of the dazzling details about this story. There's always dazzling details. A handgun used by one of the suspects was equipped with a drum magazine that was recovered from the scene. These drum magazines, these are 
These are the things that are capable of firing 30, 40, 50 shots without reloading. So one of the guys that is engaged in this gun battle with the police at 9 o'clock last night on 33rd and Sherry, I mean, he's, this is the type of thing that, you know, you, you take into, you take into a war zone in some city in, in, you know, Ukraine. This is the type of thing that you take into war zones. You've got one of these characters who is firing at police with one of these high capacity magazines. In any event, one suspect is dead, gets into the gun battle with police, and thankfully it's the suspect who's killed instead of any of the police officers. Two other suspects fled on foot and police are chasing them. Um, the officers, of course, are, you know, um, now on administrative leave. But I mean, here, here's the deal. Again, 9 o'clock at night, you've got a gun battle that breaks out on the city streets. You've got the police that respond to that gun battle. And then what ends up happening, you know, they then turn their fire on police. Again, thankfully, it's the police officers in this case that, that come out ahead. But it just shows you whether you, you want to sit in your driveway at 6 o'clock at night in Wauwatosa or whether you want to, you know, be on the street late at night on Brady Street, or whether you want to be on 33rd and Cherry at 9 o'clock in the evening, you are flat out not safe as the level of violence in the city continues unabated. When we come back, the results from the latest Marquette University Law School poll are starting to dribble in. I'll share some of it with you. You might find some of the numbers surprising. Stick around. Hey, Wisconsin, the leaves are starting to fall, and you know what that means. It's time for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank. This week, we're featuring Outdoor Living Unlimited, the premier outdoor living specialists. You can contact them at their number, 262-567-4513, or visit their website, OutdoorLivingUnlimited.com. It's Wagner's Home Improvement Showcase on Wisconsin's radio station, 620 WTMJ. All right, Marquette University Law School has a poll out. My guess is they will do one more poll, um, probably sometime in mid-October, before the early November election. So here are the, the numbers, and some numbers you might find to be surprising. You will recall that in August... In the U.S. Senate race featuring Senator Ron Johnson and Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, in August, among likely voters, Mandela Barnes was supported by 52 percent. Yeah, that was his number, and Johnson was supported by 45 percent. There was a seven-point spread. I said at the time, you can mark the tape on this, that I felt that was going to be the high-water mark of the Barnes campaign, that what you saw out there was a lot of people who really, they, they because the way the Democratic primary you know, f- worked out and the fact that, you know, he ended up essentially winning the nomination by acclamation when everybody else dropped off and there wasn't any sort of criticism at all, people really didn't know anything about Mandela Barnes. And my prediction was, as more people find out about Mandela Barnes, less people are going to like him. That was just my prediction. That's why I thought that 52% number was the high watermark. So that was August. Barnes, 52. Johnson, 45. Um, And again, we also pointed out that historically, the Marquette University Law School poll has undercounted Johnson's support. I, I think that's also fair to say, for whatever reason. So the new poll numbers... 
Okay, in August, it was Barnes 52, Johnson 45. Among likely voters, Ron Johnson now leads 49 to 48. So there has been a, a, a the, the number of people supporting Barnes has dropped by four percentage points. The number of people supporting Johnson has increased by four points. So it's 49, 48. Now, let's 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 be honest. That's within the margin of error. That that means it, it is a toss up because it is within the margin of error. But um, that's the big change. Johnson has now. If you believe these polls, and again, there's the margin of error, Johnson has pulled ahead in in the race. In the race for governor, all right, um, in the race for governor in August, it was Evers 48, Michaels 44, and Joan Bellinger with 4% of of the vote. Joan Bellinger was the independent candidate who was was running and um she had but she was running but she she's a conservative. If you look at her website, she's arguably more conservative than Tim Michaels is and she has since dropped out and thrown her support to Tim Michaels. In any event, the new poll again in August it was Evers 48, Michaels 44. The new poll finds Evers at 47 and um, Michaels at 44. Uh, so essentially, really unchanged. Evers drops from 48 to 47. Michaels holds the same. Uh, Joan Bellinger is still pulling 5% of her uh, 5% support. Now, she's she has officially dropped out of the race and thrown her support to Tim Michaels. So you can do what you want with that number. But again, um, Evers maintaining a slight lead over Michaels, both within the um, both within, again, the margin of error in in these polls. So those are kind of the numbers that are, you know, out there in the um, you know, in the Senate race. If you go from likely voters to just registered voters, the numbers are pretty much the same. Johnson, 48, Barnes, 47 among those who are very likely or certain to vote Johnson 49 Barnes 47 bottom line is it's it's very very close i mean it, it's it's within the margin of error it can go either way here's um, one of the interesting things as well one of the questions they ask is of course favorable unfavorable because that's one of the things you look at with incumbents among registered voters okay in august they asked about Tony Evers' favorability ratings versus unfavorabilities. So last month, it was 46% favorable, 41% unfavorable. This month, it's 45% favorable, 45% unfavorable. So he, he's down five points in those numbers to the extent if you, um, if you believe it. So again, you can take this with a grain of salt, but it appears that Mandela Barnes, there's been a drop in support for him, and I'm not surprised by that because, like I say, I think the more people find out about his positions, the more I think people are less likely to vote for him. And Tony Evers and Tim Michaels, now that the race has really been joined between the two of them, um, his Evers' unfavorability numbers are going up. And again, it's it's just a deadlock. And I, I don't know what to make for of the the five percent of the people who say that they're going to vote for Joan Beglinger, who has dropped out of the race. So if if a good portion of that vote goes for Michaels, 
you would assume that Michaels pulls ahead in the poll. But the bottom line is both of these polls, to the extent you want to believe them, and I, I actually I think that's probably an accurate state of the race. I, I these are razor thin um, these are razor thin margins, and it does mean. But here in Wisconsin, we're going to have some of the most closely contested races in the country. That That's just the reality. So whether it's good or bad, if you're tired of hearing political ads on the radio, if you're tired of seeing them on television every time you turn on the TV, if you're tired of seeing them on the streaming services or popping up on your Internet feeds or whatever – they're not going to go away because both races, the governor's race and the Senate race, very, very, very much in play. And that that's, I think, what is reflected in these poll numbers. Just, uh, you know, it, it's it's, you know, six to five, you know, pick them right now. But the big takeaway is Barnes's sport has dropped to the extent you believe this. Johnson's has picked up. Evers unfavorability numbers have increased. Um, both of the races well within the margin of error. In other words, buckle up your seat belts and put on your crash helmets because if you are a political junkie, it's going to be a bumpy ride. Does your workplace deserve to let loose and have a party thrown by WTMJ? Register your office on the contest page at WTMJ.com from September 12th to September 16th. Tell us why your team deserves to win, and we'll throw your office a party, including four dozen cream puffs from the Wisconsin State Fair. Go to WTMJ.com to register. You can check it out. Um, Just one one other you know notice, I, as, as I look at the polls, and again, the, the takeaway is that both of the races, governor and Senate, are, are a toss-up. They're, they're both within the margin of error. Um, I, I think one of the things, and I, I highlight this because I, I predicted this correctly, at least last month, is that for Mandela Barnes, the, the, those numbers, I think, were the high watermark because people really didn't know what Mandela Barnes is, is all about. My prediction was as more people find out where Mandela Barnes is, Fewer people are going to support him. And uh, t- to give you another indication of that, not only did his support you know, drop several points and to the point where it's now a toss-up or he's actually slightly behind within the margin of error, Ron Johnson, if you believe these polls. But one of the operative things is they said, you know, what, do you have a favorable or unfavorable opinion of him? And in August... It was 37% favorable, 22% unfavorable, which means over 40% of the electorate really didn't have a position. This month, as people start to find out more about where Mandela Barnes is on issues like defunding the police and the Kenosha stuff and all those other things that I've been talking about, and I think it's really just the tip of the iceberg, his favorable rating a month ago, 37%, it's now down to 33%. His unfavorable rating, which was 22%, um, now it's up to 32%, so it, it's dead even. Which is not surprising to me, and again, I think the more Mandela Barnes, the more people find out about him, the the higher that unfavorable rating is going to go, and it certainly happened over the course of the last month. Now, the, the flip side of that is Ron Johnson um, his, in the latest poll, his favorables 39%, his unfavorables 47%, and that's been, that's been pretty consistent, um, over the last three polls that they've done. I mean, he's, he's considerable, he's been underwater by a couple points. So I make, 
make of that what you want. But again, this is a very close race. And to the extent that people are finding out about Mandela Barnes, I think the answer is people aren't necessarily liking what um, they're they're hearing. But it's again, the takeaway is very, very close race, highly contested race. And um, we're we're just going to have to see. It's all going to depend on turnout and developments over the course of the next you know month and a half it would be nice though if the media in this state the print media and some of the electronic media would start scrutinizing some of the positions that mandela barnes has taken now i i I know that there are outlets that do it including mine but it would be interesting to pursue him when when you know he he's on record as aligning himself with organizations that wanted to fund the police and so then he said well i don't really want to fund the police but i want to change stuff well what exactly does that mean he'll say well okay even though i was photographed with this uh, shirt saying abolish ice and i'm associated with groups that wanted i don't really want to support i support like reforming it and nobody asks a follow-up saying what does that mean I mean, tell me, tell me what that means. Does it mean you favor open borders? It's been a campaign that's been completely and totally free of content because the media has allowed him to get away with it. And I think part of it is the people in the media and his handlers know if Mandela Barnes was to speak honestly about where he is on these many of these issues, he'd scare the heck out of Lots and lots of Wisconsin voters. So the idea is to run this stealth campaign and to its shame, at least thus far, the electronic media and certainly the print media has by and large let him get away with this in ways that you would never allow a Republican to get away with it. And and that's, I think, one of the frustrating things that's out there. So to the extent that the ads and stuff are starting to define Barnes, you're seeing that work a little bit. But it would be nice if the media just just had a few moments of honesty and really started exploring and following up and demanding answers to to these issues. All right. You you say you, you don't want to abolish ICE, but you want to change it. Tell us the changes that you want to make. Do you really support taking the nationalizing oil companies is that really your platform and if not you know what what do you want to do 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 some of this follow-up but again i think lots of the media which is in bed with some of these campaigns they don't want to ask those questions because they know the candidates of their choice are going to come off as being extremists and it's easier to just go after people like ron johnson or or whatever so you know we'll, we'll see how this all plays out but Bottom line takeaway from this latest poll, this is a very, very close race. When we come back, Joe Biden is all smiles and high fives. What is he smoking? Hey, one final interesting thing in the Marquette University Law School poll. The, the, among, among voters, they ask, what are your top issues? You know, what, what are your top motivating issues? Um, number one, inflation. Number two, crime. Number three, accuracy of vote count. Number four, public schools. Number five, gun violence. And number six, abortion. So, and, and I understand that, you know, you might say, oh, that's ridiculous for me. It, it, it's, I, I, it's abortion. That, that's the, the driving thing. And, and there are people who say, it it's gun violence or whatever. But overall, when they, they ask this, this question, the, those are the, the issues. And I guess if you want to look at this and you want to say, okay, are those issues that favor 
the, the status quo or favor change. Okay, in inflation, well, I, I don't know. I don't think that speaks very well. I mean, I, that's got to reflect on the Biden administration. Crime, I don't think Tony Evers wants to see that. Accuracy of vote count, that's obviously picking up some of the Republicans who are still concerned with some of the stuff from the 2020 election. Public schools, I guess that could cut some both ways. There are a lot of people who believe that we need to throw more money at the public schools. There are other people who say that, okay, the public schools are a problem. You look at these numbers, and we need to do really some major stuff to start to you know, take back control of the public schools. So you can decide how that works out. But inflation, crime, accuracy of vote count, public schools, gun violence, and abortion, that will, I think, inform some of the advertising that you see because, I mean, candidly, you, you've seen the Democrats are running on the abortion issue because they think that that's going to move the needle. I have questioned all along whether that is actually going to be the case. I understand that there's some people who are going to be real fired up about that, but is that going to be enough to make a distinction? I, I don't know. Time will tell. But anyways, inflation, crime, accuracy of vote count, public schools, gun violence, and abortion in that order the the good news if you are on social security and and i don't and if you're on social security the, the good news i have for you is that they're estimating that next year you can expect an inflation adjustment to your monthly check and the estimates are that it's going to be about eight point seven percent so in other words take the amount of money that you are getting every month Add 8.7% to it. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to net 8.7% because there's going to be an adjustment for Medicare that's going to come out of that. So that's going to eat into it. The other reason you're getting that adjustment for 8.7% is because that's that's inflation. I mean, that's that that money. It, it doesn't get you ahead. It's not suddenly like, oh, I've got 9% more money. It's, gee, costs of things have gone up that much. So what's going to happen is that just keeps me even. It's why inflation is so insidious. And for some things like prescription drugs and other stuff that has gone up more than 8.7%, you actually end up losing. But you, you will, it appears, be getting a larger monthly check because it's all designed to factor in inflation. That's the good news. The bad news is you're, you're probably, even with 8.7%, because of the way inflation works, you're probably still not keeping pace. Meanwhile, the strain on Social Security becomes even greater. Okay, when we come back, Biden is celebrating no more free lunch. And what in the world was the mayor of Milwaukee thinking? Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I didn't want to let the show pass without mentioning the um, passing of a, a figure that was, depending on your perspective, either famous or infamous, uh, Ken Starr. Ken Starr, who um, was just a household name back in the 90s. He was the investigator into various, you know, uh, alleged 
you know, misconduct by the Clintons in connection with, you know, investments they made in what was known as, you know, you know, Whitewater. Um, he was investigating for financial misconduct and ultimately no charges were issued against them. But then the, the star investigation expanded to explore other allegations against the president. And then, of course, this led to, you know, Bill Clinton the, uncovering the affair that he had had with the intern Monica Lewinsky, which still just is just sort of mind boggling. And I understand that we're now we're talking about ancient history. That's going on 30 years ago. But the idea that the president of the United States decided to engage in that type of conduct with with an intern is just it's just it, it shows kind of the arrogance and the irresponsibility that Bill Clinton had. And I, and I say that just on, on the personal level without regard to how you felt about his policies one way or the other it's man i mean you have a guy who incredibly talented and gifted in so many areas but also just incredibly flawed in others anyhow the the investigation into again the the, the lewinsky affair which led to clinton uh, lying under oath which led to the impeachment effort and things like that 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 forever defined i i think you know, Ken Starr. There, there's no question uh, about that. I had the opportunity to meet him on a couple occasions. He was the Solicitor General of the United States, at, and which means he was responsible for arguments in front of the United States Supreme Court. And I met him through my late wife, who had a, a couple cases that um, her law firm um, and, and she were, were working on uh, on the appellate level or cases that were going to be argued in front of appellate courts with the idea that they might be headed towards the Supreme Court. So I, I had the opportunity to meet him once or twice in social settings. And um, just regardless of how you felt about the Whitewater investigation or how you felt about, you know, the pursuing the, the Clintons and stuff like that, Ken Starr was a brilliant guy, just an absolute you know, brilliant guy and a, a huge legal mind. And there's just no question, though, that his legacy will always be inextricably linked with the, the Clintons and the investigations to Whitewater and things of the like. But if you hadn't heard, um, Ken Starr passed away earlier this week at the age of um, 76. And like I say, he was an incredible an incredible legal mind. There's just no question. He was one of those guys that you, you walk into – a room, and he was very unassuming. But you you walk into a room, and you you know, you know, after five minutes of conversation with him, that he really is the smartest guy in that room. All right, school is back in session. I want to revisit something we talked about a couple weeks ago because the, the Journal Sentinel has chosen to bring this up at, as an issue in public and private schools. I guess there is um, there there are proposals. There are ways that the government. Will the federal government will provide free breakfasts and free lunches for kids um, if the families are under a certain income level? And if you live in a school district, like, for example, MPS, where you have a certain percentage of the families that would qualify for free lunch, then the way it works is everybody gets a free lunch. That, that, that's so, so what we're about to talk about now doesn't apply to MPS. MPS, everybody gets the free lunch, everybody gets the, the free breakfasts, all right? But there are other school districts where 
because the the median family income is of a certain level, what happens is it's it's the standard thing that they used to have. If your family income is below a certain amount, you fill out this form, you get a free lunch. If your family income is above that minimum level, but still not above a certain level, what you do is you fill out a, a form, and what you do is you get a reduced price meal. So, for example, to give you an idea, um, house for free meals, if you've got a household size of four, mom, dad, and two kids, and your joint household income is thirty-six grand or less, you get free meals. No questions asked. If it's 51,000 family of four, you get reduced price meals, all right? But if it's, if it's above that, you have to do one of two things. You have to either pay for your kid's lunch or you have to, heaven forbid, pack a lunch and send that lunch with the kid, right? That, that's, they, they don't expect the taxpayers to pick up the tab for everybody's school lunches. Low income, or moderate low income, yeah, you get the free lunches, you get the free breakfast, you get the reduced price lunches, you get the reduced price breakfasts. But if your pa- family is above a certain level, then, like for example, fifty-one thousand bucks or above, you, you're expected to pay for your kid's lunch or send that lunch with them. Well, this is creating issues, and the Journal Sentinel, you know, highlights this, says that well, you know, here here's the problem. You know, we 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 shouldn't necessarily make people pay for for their lunches. You know, there there's paperwork that they have to fill out, and some parents are reluctant to do that. So some people are out there arguing that hey, we 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 should just have the taxpayers of the state pick up the tab for every kid's lunch and breakfast. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, understand again, this isn't about not providing free lunches to kids who come from families where the income level qualifies for it. It's not about providing reduced price lunches to parents, to who, kids who come from parents whose families are, in this case, it's below like 51 grand a year. The question is, for families that make more than that, families that make 60 grand, 80 grand, 100 grand, 200 grand, 300 grand a year, should the taxpayers be picking up the tab for their kids' breakfasts and lunches? 855-616-1620. And I understand some of you are going to violently disagree with me, but you know what? I mean, it's one thing to take care of, you know, people who can't legitimately afford the lunches. I, I get that, or to, to feed their kids. But at the same time, I'm sorry, if you're making, if your family income is 80 grand a year, I don't think the taxpayers, or a hundred grand a year, or whatever number you want to pick, I don't think the taxpayers should pick up the tab for feeding your child lunch. If you don't feel you've got the wherewithal to, you know, send the kid with money to buy the hot lunch for two bucks or whatever it's going to be, fine. Then take a couple minutes and do what my mom did when I was a kid, or then what I had to do later on, take the time, have the kid make a sandwich, or make the kid a sandwich, you know, put some lunch meat, put a couple pieces of bread together, send them off with an apple and a little bag of potato chips, take some responsibility yourself. 855-616-1620, is it the taxpayer's responsibility to pick up the tab for school lunches for all kids, regardless of income? And my answer would be no. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, look, th- th- this idea 
that the government has to take care of, of every child, regardless of need, from ca- cradle to grave, to me is absolutely crazy. I understand, you know, if you've got you know kids that it, it come from economically challenged families, I understand the taxpayers picking up the tab for the lunch or the reduced price lunches. I get the idea that if there's some districts where there, the majority of kids come from that area, just the, in that category, that the, the paperwork involved in making some kids pay for their lunches probably isn't worth it. But th- that notwithstanding, if you are in a school district where the the median household income is $100,000 a year, why in God's green earth should the rest of the taxpayers be paying to feed your child? Send the kid to school with a couple bucks a day, and if that doesn't work out, then, then get off your butt or get the kid off his butt or her butt and have him make a bag lunch like many of us ended up doing. But this idea that the taxpayers have to pick up the tab, I'm, I'm sorry, I just don't buy into it. Jeff, my wife and I clear $250,000 a year. Racine Unified has said that all kids will eat for free. We don't agree with it, but we weren't given a choice. Well, well right, and that's that's a, a perfect example of that. Your kids at Racine Unified, your household income is more than a quarter million dollars a year. You can more than afford to pay for the, those lunches. You know, wh- why should the taxpayers be picking up the tab? Now, Racine Unified is probably one of those where, again, they've just decided the paperwork of making a certain subset pay for it is too great. But let's say that's not Racine Unified. Let's say that's some other school district, the mequon Thienesville School District or Arrowhead School District or whatever, why should the taxpayers pick up the tab? And the answer is there's there there's nothing like that. Uh, now, here's an interesting text. Jeff, parent of a high school senior here, I thought it was absurd that lunch was free for all students during last year's school year, and, and it was, because as part of the whole pandemic COVID relief thing, as part of the the relief funds where we just printed money, which has helped fuel this inflation thing that we're all dealing with now, that was it. They just decided, okay, everybody's going to get a free lunch. Um, that, of course, has now changed. Jeff, parent of a high school senior here, I thought it was absurd that the lunch was free for all students during last year's school year. There were teens driving brand-new Teslas and Jeeps to school and then getting lunch on the taxpayers. Free or reduced should be reserved for those in the most needy classes. Right, how do you... Okay, the, the, the senior citizens who are living on a fixed income and dealing with an 8% plus inflation rate right now, how do you look any of those people in the face and say, well, we think, all right, we think that you should be helping to subsidize the lunch of some kid that's driving to school in a new, you know, $50,000 Jeep or whatever. It, it's just this craziness that is there. But it gets back to the, the basic point, which is, at some point in time, don't have don't parents have some responsibility for taking care of their children, especially if there's not enough economic need at, at all. Uh, Jeff, a peanut butter sandwich is not that expensive or hard to make. If you have a student who's allergic to peanut butter, well, you can get a package of American cheese, slap a piece of cheese between two slices of bread. A six-year-old child can do it if the parents are too lazy to do it. Well, well, that that that's right. If you don't want the hot lunch. And where I went to school, 
This isn't one of these stories about, hey, you have to walk uphill in the snow every both ways. No, but where, where I went to school, as a matter of fact, grade school, they didn't even have a cafeteria. They, you had to bring, there weren't hot lunches. You had to bring your own lunch. Oh, the horrors of it. And, you know, that was, that was the deal. Mom, first it was mom, and then later on it was Jeff, but you'd make sandwiches. Mom would have lunch meat. So, you know, some days it's going to be turkey, some days it's going to be ham, some days it's going to be bologna. Put a couple pieces of cheese on the thing. You go off with an apple. Maybe you got a little bag of potato chips. Maybe not. But that, that's lunch. Okay. That's, that's lunch. And, and you know what? We were somehow able to survive and actually, my guess is the waste was a lot less because you ate your sandwich, you ate your apple, you ate your orange, whatever the piece of fruit it was that you had. You ate it instead of, you know, um, throwing all that stuff out. Um, Jeff, most districts' lunch programs are on an account where the kids just swipe the cards. Before the free lunch program started, a lot of parents just let those accounts go into negative balance, and then the school ended up waiving the fees anyways. Either way, it makes no sense. Um, you just, all I know is that if you can afford it, it's, it's like, I don't know if it's like if you walk into a, a restaurant with your kid and you say, well, I think the taxpayer should pick up the cost for my kid's cheeseburger tonight. Well, the restaurant's going to look at you and say, I don't think so. Jeff, you're assuming most parents want to take the time to teach their child skills like making a lunch. I taught in Germantown, and I would say at least fifty, at least five percent of my elementary school class each year came to school without having breakfast and without a lunch. Teachers have to feed their kids with their own money. Is that okay? Well, no, it, it's not. But you know that that's why that's why if you've got bad, lazy parents that are out there, that's when the school district needs to get involved with that. And then uh, the teacher says there's a stigma for bringing a cold lunch for the older kids. Oh, give me a break. There's a stigma for bringing a bag lunch. Well, to that, my response would be, you know, Wagner's first rule of life is life is tough. Get a helmet. And if 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 we are teaching kids that, oh, you, you can't bring a bag lunch because other people might look down their nose at you, give me a break. I mean, seriously, it's like, all right, there's all sorts of people who to this day, you know, you look around our office and there's a lot of grownups that bring bag lunches. That's it. They put them in the refrigerator and then they eat lunch in the cafeteria at their desks or wherever. There's a I mean, if there's a stigma to bringing a bag lunch, my response was, um, okay, you you pretty much got to get over it, because if that's going to paralyze you, you're, you're, you're going to have a lot of trouble dealing with the other issues of life. Jeff, I went to a Catholic school. We did not have a hot lunch until seventh grade. We would always have to bring our own lunches, and once a month we got spaghetti all day that we paid a small fee for. Actually, the the spaghetti, you know, wasn't that great. Jeff, universal lunch. No, where would the money come from? Well, it comes from the taxpayers. Being a parent comes with responsibility, at least it used to. Provide your children their own lunches. Give me a break. Um... Yeah, Jeff, I live in Lake Country area, and there's a woman in charge of this flat out told me that there's no checks in place. You can simply say that you make that amount, even though you make more. I know for a fact a family that utilizes reduced lunches, they make more money than they can afford. Well, I'm I'm sure that there's a degree of fraud that is involved, you know, with this. But still, I mean, if somebody wants to cheat the system, they're going to cheat the system. Jeff, when I was a kid, you weren't cool unless you had a bag lunch. I guess I just never, 
never thought of the, the issue of cool one way or the other. It's just, hey, you, you've got the, the bag lunch. Jeff, uh, to add insult to injury, my kids thought the free lunches were unhealthy and disgusting to eat. Well, that's there's a story in the Madison paper about that, about how a number of parents are complaining that, I want to get the numbers right here. Let me look at my story. Uh, for nine straight days, the menu in the Madison School District's food program was pizza. <laughs> it was it was it was pizza. On Tuesday the choices were big cheesy pizza, seasoned buffalo chicken or deluxe turkey pepperoni pizza. Ditto for the menu menus this Wednesday, I'm quoting from the story. Thursday and Friday all of last week's at the elementary school students have been fed a steady diet of pizza or a turkey and cheese snack lunch kit since September 6th. So don't even get me started on the quality of the stuff that was there. Um, Jeff, I, again, and again, a number of people are, are there, you know, who are, again, just kind of making this point that it's a situation of that. Jeff, my son is an MPS, and we do the bag lunch. He hates the free hot lunch. Um, and they send me a picture of like the some of the stuff that the kid has been drawing on the bag. Well, that's that's the other thing. Jeff, how about all the school lunches that get thrown away? What a waste of my tax dollars. Yeah, that's, of course, that's the other story about this, that because... You've got these these nutrition standards that people have to meet. Even if the kid doesn't want it, they put it on their plate. So if there's green beans, let's say for the sake of argument, and your kid isn't going to eat green beans, your kid doesn't have the option of saying, no, don't give me green beans. They give you the green beans because we've got to satisfy the, the nutrition standards. So the fact that the green beans are going to go from the green bean container to the kids tray directly to the trash can that we, we don't care about that and the waste because well we're, we're, we're providing the the healthy lunch or the same thing with tr- with fruit and keep in mind the other rule is you can't trade that food anymore so if they're giving out pears for example and you I was trying to explain this to some of the other day, I just don't like pears nothing I, I know people love pears I just don't care for pears so you know you can put a pear in front of me I'm not going to eat it because I don't care for it so you, you can't even trade your pear for something else because well that's going to create issues as well bottom line is all right th- this idea that there's no such thing as a free lunch there's some people out there who challenge the concept and I don't get it I swear, I do not know what Milwaukee Mayor Cavalier Johnson was thinking. See, sometimes I understand politicians wade into stuff because it's something intentional. It's a fight that they want to pick. It's an issue that they want to get involved with. Sometimes they get drawn into issues because they just, you know, there's no way of avoiding it. And then... Then there's Cavalier Johnson, and, and now let, let, let's review the, the bidding for just a little bit. One of the controversies involving the 2020 election was the whole idea of what they call the Zucker box. And long story short, this is, in my opinion, and I think in the opinion of many, it's not illegal, but I believe it should have been. What you had is you had partisan private get-out-the-vote efforts that went to communities, for example, a number of communities in Milwaukee, and they gave these communities money to get out the vote. Okay, well, well, what's what's wrong with, with that? Well, well, first of all, the, the question is, should 
should you have government entities partnering with private people to turn out the vote? But but here's the more insidious thing that went on. The money that went to these communities went very, very much disproportionately to places like the city of Milwaukee or the city of Madison, where it was a heavy, heavily Democratic turnout. So the idea being, hey, you know, if if we spend money, we try to turn out as many voters as we can in the city of Milwaukee, um, we, we know that we're going to get, I don't know, seven out of 10 votes are going to be for, for Democrats. Or in Madison, maybe it's going to be eight or 10. So you have essentially all this money being, you know, poured in to try to, again, turn out as many, in this case, the effect is as many Democrats as, as possible. And that raised all sorts of, that raised all sorts of flags. Now, again, there, there's nothing wrong. I mean, historically, the Republicans have had their get out the vote efforts. The Democrats or Democratic leading organizations have had theirs. But this was a situation where you had uh, groups that disproportionately you know, turned out, spent money to turn out voters in areas where they knew it was much more likely that it was going to get uh, Democratic votes. And that raised the number of eyebrows. I, I don't think that was illegal. I think it should be illegal. I think it's it's bad policy. All right. But that's that's 2020. So here's the story as it was first reported on Channel six the other day. Milwaukee Mayor Cavalier Johnson announced plans in the city for door-to-door efforts to encourage people to vote in the battleground state of Wisconsin's largest city. After initial confusion over whether the city was leading the work, the mayor's office clarified it was not funding the work, not receiving funding for the work, nor doing door-to-door efforts. Okay, so here's, here's what Johnson first says. He says, we're doing more and we're going to be embracing outreach through what we're calling Milwaukee Votes 2022. As part of this, there's a new website widget on many of our government websites. Milwaukee Votes 2022 will also have door-to-door canvassers that will be underway, funded by the private sector. Dozens of canvassers will be face-to-face with eligible voters, encouraging them to exercise their right to vote for the November election. I'm not asking anybody to cast their ballots for one party or another or one candidate or another. What I'm asking is for people to participate in our process and to make sure their voice is heard at the ballot box. So what he's saying is we're partnering with this private group to try to register and turn out votes, okay? And in 2020, like I say, the city, it was about 80% vote for Biden, 20% for Trump. It is a disproportionately large number of Democratic voters. So the, the obvious question is, wait a second, Mr. Mayor, who is this this private group? You know, who Who is the city of Milwaukee going to be partnering with in this bipartisan effort to, you know, get out the vote. And then, of course, you get, you know, humming, 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 humming. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're not sure about this. Well, it, it turns out, and then it turns out that this group is really this Democrat fund, the, the Democrat get out the vote effort. It's called GPS Impact. And the, the person that runs it, former employee of the Wisconsin Democratic Party, was the spokesperson for Governor Tony Evers. If you go to their website, you know, this, they, they, it's called GPS Impact. They say they're a full-service political agency that has, quote, helped Democrats, progressive organizations, and initiatives, and elected officials win in red states. 
That would be Republican states, including Kansas, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, North Carolina, Louisiana, and Ohio. They tout their experience in running voter registration and handling ballot requesters. It is a Democrat organization designed to turn out Democrat voters. And this... This is who the city of Milwaukee was getting into bed with to to go turn out the vote, a partisan political organization. Well, once people start raising questions about this, the city then, despite what the mayor clearly said, we're going to link to this group and we're going to be partnering with this. Um, The the response was then, well, um, you know, no, the, the mayor, the mayor misspoke. And um, the city is not receiving or providing any funds related to the work of Milwaukee Votes 2022. The group is privately funded, not-for-profit, and nonpartisan. But it's ridiculous that they're nonpartisan. That's the mayor's spokesperson, Jeff Fleming. That's silly. It's a, by its own nature, it is a partisan group. Um, they then go to say the association with Milwaukee Votes 2022 is limited to the mayor voicing support for the work, which includes door-to-door canvassing to encourage all eligible voters to participate in upcoming elections what this group is designed to do is it's designed to turn out democrat voters and and that's that's all well and good i have no problem and republicans should be doing that as well i mean that's the way it has traditionally worked that you have political parties or organizations affiliated with the political parties and they spend their money and they do the get out the vote effort that's the way it should work the problem is you have these lines that were blurred in 2020 because of the whole Zuckerbucks thing, and now you have the mayor of the city of Milwaukee proudly announcing that the city is going to get in bed with, our website is going to link with this clearly group partisan group, which is designed to turn out Democrat votes. And I guess, to me, the, the operative story out of this is, what could the mayor have been thinking? I mean, do, do we not vet these things? I, if you want to give him... If you want to give him the benefit of the doubt, you could say he was just absolutely clueless. And and somebody said, hey, we, we've got this group that's going to help work on voter turnout. Isn't this going to be great? And the mayor said, yeah. And then he announces this thing before anybody says, well, maybe we should ask what this group is. Now, that that would be he was just ignorant of this. Now, I guess if you want to have a more cynical view, it could be, well, you know, this is what they plan to do all along. We're trying to figure out how to juice the vote for Democrats because we need a big turnout in the city of Milwaukee. So so we're going to partner the city with this Democrat turnout group, and we're going to help to try to, to juice the numbers. I, I like to think maybe in this case that the mayor was just ignorant of this as opposed to a knowing part of it. But the bottom line of all this is there, there's got to be, it seems to me, a, a separation. If If groups want to do voter turnout efforts, and these are partisan groups with agendas, that's fine. But they should be paying for it, and they should be doing it independently of City Hall, whether it's City Hall in Milwaukee or Madison or Waukesha or or wherever. That's the way it's always been. When you commingle this and you have a, a city government that is, by law, supposed to be neutral in these elections, and they end up getting in bed with one of these groups that has partisan agendas, whether it's Democrat or Republican or whatever, it calls, it's one of the reasons why people start to think, hey, these elections are rigged. Now, again, I, 
I'm one of these people that I, I don't go down the conspiracy theory. I think the 2020 election was was legitimate, you know, up and down. I think there were some practices that were kind of questionable that were employed, but I don't think there was widespread fraud or anything like that. But this it's just amazing to me that the mayor would have given this speech that he did with apparently, if we want to give him the benefit of the doubt, not knowing the group that he was touting that the city of Milwaukee was going to partner with. It turns out to be, like I say, a, a Democrat turnout group. It, it's almost unbelievable. Now they say, okay, we're not going to have anything to do with this. I, I hope that's true. And now that this has been exposed, I, I suspect that it probably will be. But you want to talk about a self-inflicted wound, that this is exactly that, because, again, it raises eyebrows about what's going on in the city of Milwaukee. One more interesting takeaway from the Marquette University Law School poll. Uh, they, they ask Wisconsinites, and again, take take it with a grain of salt, you know, how accurate you believe the poll are, polls are, but they ask about the decision Joe Biden made to forgive up to $20,000 of federal student loan debt. Now, I predicted at the time that this blatant vote-buying scheme it was not going to be as, as popular. I think there were a lot of Democrats who convinced Biden that, look, this is going to be a winner. People are going to hear this. And, and they're going to love it because automatically, you know, $10,000 in student loan debt disappears and they're going to love this and they're going to want to run out and vote for you, Joe, and all the people who support you. Well, here's that they, they asked this question. They said um, the decision by President Joe Biden to forgive up to $20,000 of federal student loan debt. They say, do you approve or not approve? Overall, 46 percent approve, 50 percent disapprove. So and and that's one of the things that I was predicting that you were going to see happen, because I think there's a lot of people who recognize that, first of all, this was unnecessary. Secondly, it was inflationary. And third, it was just flat out wrong to all the other people who had taken out loans and had paid them off. If you wanted to reduce the interest rate or renegotiate the interest rate. Okay, that that's one thing. If you felt this incredible need to at least help out some people with their student loans, then, then means test it. You know, may, really apply it to people who, you know, have these student debts who really are low income, as opposed to saying if you make a quarter million dollars a year and you and your spouse have $10,000 in student loan debt, we're going to have the taxpayers get rid of it. Because, I mean, I think there's a lot of senior citizens out there or other people who make a lot less than a quarter million saying, why are my tax dollars going to spend? going to to help pay off student loan debt that some couple that makes lots more money than I will ever make a year why are we paying for that and the the answer is because it was a vote buying scheme nothing more nothing less but i do think the numbers are interesting 46% approve 50% disapprove at, at you know if nothing else it, it shows that this is, is not the political winner. It's not like, oh, 85% of the people are just thrilled with this. A lot of people recognize that there's a, a problem with this. All right. Um, the stock market today. Now, yesterday was the worst day on Wall Street in years and years and years. And whenever I talk about this, I get some people who say, well, why, why do average people care about uh, the stock market? Well, you, you should care about the stock market because most of us, have money that we're saving for our retirements and it's invested in 401k plans or if people are in retirement you know they're they're living on their savings and when all of a sudden five percent of your savings disappears in, in one day uh because of the stock market drop yeah that that 
that you care about that. Somebody texted me yesterday saying, "Hey, I was sitting down with my financial advisor, and you know, we were when we plan retirements, we're looking at our nest egg, and this is how much money we think we have available." And there, there's been an incredible drain of wealth over the course of really going back to last April, which is when inflation really started to kick in big time. And the reason the stock market tanked yesterday was, of course, because inflation came in hot once once again. Um, Eight point. I want to say 8.3% increases year to year. And, and it really, what really hit home is gas prices had gone down a little bit. But, um, regardless of that, inflation number was still up for, um, August over, um, it was still up for, yeah, August over July. And people were going, gee, even with the drop in gas prices, it still went up, which means other goods started to cost more. So at the same time this was going on, uh, the President of the United States, in what was, I think, a pretty clueless moment, was having a big celebration at the White House, you know, touting the Inflation Reduction Act. And he's trying to tell people, well, I mean, we're, we're, we've, got this, we've got this problem solved, and people don't need to be worried about this. And, you know, we, we are, we're doing all this stuff, and we're tackling climate change and things like that. Meanwhile, in, in that real world, you know, most economists are saying, hey, it's going to be a bumpy ride, and, and we don't think we're anywhere close to dealing with inflation, and the Federal Reserve is looking at, you know, jacking up interest rates another 1% or so, that which would be one of their largest increases since the 1980s, and if people want to buy homes, well, you're going to have a problem with that. Wall Street Journal weighs in on this. Biden administration officials have been claiming confidently that inflation is under control and fail and falling. Inflation is under control and falling so much. They've been saying this that investors might have believed it. Bad idea. Tuesday's report on the consumer price index for August showed inflation has remained high and sticky and markets promptly fell out of bed. And we mean the top bunk. The 3.94% tumble in the Dow Jones Industrial was the worst day since 2020, and the declines in the S&P 500 and NASDAQ were even worse. Investors had apparently believed the hopeful chatter that inflation was headed downward and that the Federal Reserve wouldn't need to raise interest rates so high so as to court a recession. Investing lesson of the week, never trust a politician. And then it goes on to just talk about how inflation is running rampant. Now, again, I understand President Biden has this victory lap. Hey, we've passed this. Oh, the economy is great. Well, I mean, don't tell that to anybody who's still paying $3.50 a gallon for gasoline and people who are just getting slammed when they look at their rents and they look at the cost of their prescription drugs and they look at the cost of the food and they look at the cost of everything that's going on. No, we're not close to solving the problem of inflation. And if politicians tell you we are, well, I'd be really, really skeptical. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So, Mike Spaulding, we were doing the, the sports cast, and, and yesterday, Brewers had a big win. It was one of those, the, the bullpen game in St. Louis, they win 8-4. to four. So, last night... Um, as I'm getting ready to go to bed, I'm checking in. Uh, Philadelphia ended up winning, and they're, they're ahead. And the, the closest team to the Brewers, the Brewers are chasing the San Diego Padres. And San Diego was playing late at night. And so I, 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 
just on my laptop computer. I, I watched just I went to ESPN. I ended up watching the the last inning or so of the game. It <clears throat> the irony was not lost on me um, when Josh Hader comes into a game that uh, the Padres are leading two to nothing and ends up closing it out, gets the save, and so the Brewers don't pick up any ground. I just I just have this really bad feeling that trading, and I understand that Hader had a, had a rough patch in the middle of the year. I think partly due to the fact that he was going through a lot of personal stuff with his you know newborn baby. The Brewers, for whatever reason, bailed on him for a pitcher that's not close to John Hader, Josh Hader, another pitcher that they've cut in two minor leaguers. I just have this bad feeling that as the Brewers chase the San Diego Padres, Josh Hader's going to get hot again, start saving games. And the reason we don't make the playoffs is because we gave away arguably the best closer in baseball. And not because he beats the Brewers directly, but just keeps right. them from the playoffs. Yeah, that would be a terrible feeling. And that, that would was, be bad. That was, that was last night. I'm thinking, oh, it's, it's, they're, they're bringing in Hader. It's the, they've got a two-run lead, and he comes in and shuts down Seattle, and, and they win, and the Brewers don't pick up any games. It, it's not great having that uh, feeling that every other team had for the past five seasons or whatever it has been with Josh Hader when he was on the Brewers, you get that sense of dread. You're like, well, all right. You know? Yeah, and, and, I, and I understand he had a little bit of a rocky time, but I guess my question is, would you rather, at this stage of the game, would you rather have Josh Hader or whoever the guy was the Brewers got for him? You know, And, and I think that answer is... I think pretty self-evident. Yeah, probably Josh Hader, considering the other one is the guy that the Brewers got. You know, yeah, yeah. exactly. I'm just, I'm just saying, on a rental basis, who's going to be gone at the end of the year? Not, I think. I guess, I mean, time will always tell, and maybe these minor leaguers that they got are going to turn out to be, you know, all stars and stuff. But I, it's just, it's one of these years where. I'm just now maybe Hater will blow up in the last twenty games because I, I know he had a little bit of a rough stretch, but it's just it's kind of frustrating to see the Brewers needing to beat the team that Hater is on, and Hater appears to be at least back to where he was. Just, just saying. All right, let's lighten it up a little bit. We've been talking a lot about politics and things of the like. There is an interesting. All right, if if you go into a grocery store, and and I am. Very fortunate in my life that my lovely wife, Fran, does most of the shopping for our family. And and that's that's good because I don't like to shop. I mean, I, I think there, there's some people who, who love to do that. I, I just get no pleasure in, in this at all. And so I'm very, very fortunate that my wife, she's the one that goes to the different grocery stores and things like that. Oh, I went to this store. I went to that store. I got the stuff. And every once in a while, I'll get sent over. I'll be sent over with this task of, you know, I, I forgot I forgot an onion. And, you know, would, would you go over and get an onion? Or I think today the message was, hey, can you stop off at this store on the way home? Because they had really good deals on bottled water, and the bottled water is too heavy for me to carry. So big, strong husband of mine, you know, you load it up. And it's true. I'm, I'm glad to do that. So I, I only go in occasionally. But one of the things that I have noticed in the stores that we patronize is that there are fewer and fewer of the, the cashier lines that are actually stocked by real people. And as a matter of fact, there's you know the, the ongoing trend. And, you know, one of the grocery stores that we go to has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I, I believe at I believe they have eight separate electronic scanners, you know, the, the self-checkout thing. And I, I don't think I don't think they have 
at any given time, even at a busy time, I doubt that they have more than three lanes of the the real people who is stocked with the cashiers that are open. And there's the people that are trying to nicely, you know, divert you to the, the self-checkout lanes. And then they've got one person that stands at, at the start of every one of the lanes and kind of directs people in and then inevitably has to go over and help people because what it's not registering or they're not putting in the right information or whatever. But it's clear that the, these self-checkout lanes are starting to become the wave of, of the future. Story in the Wall Street Journal today, more self-checkout is coming no matter how much you hate it. Grocery stores short on labor are increasingly relying on customers to ring themselves up. The transition isn't always seamless. This is the way the story starts. The self-checkout lane can drive shoppers nuts from frustrations looking up produce to accidental double scans. In Chattanooga, Tennessee, a flustered self-checkout experience and subsequent failure to double bag led Tim Conan to lose half his Thanksgiving groceries to the parking lot asphalt. There's a lot of people out there who say the customers can just replace the workers, that's not necessarily true. I'm exhibit A. Despite bad vibes from some customers, automation at supermarkets has kicked into overdrive. More grocers installed the tech during the pandemic because of staffing issues and some customers' fears about interacting with more humans than necessary. While many are experimenting with this with new age tech that aims to make the self-checkout process easier for shoppers, those upgrades are a long way from showing up at most local grocery stores. Self-checkout is nearly twice as widespread as it was before the pandemic, representing 30% of all grocery store transactions in 2021. That's up from 18% in 2018. The machines are now at 96% of the 38,000 retail stores our group surveyed. All right, so this is definitely the wave of the future. And, and by the way, the other thing that wasn't mentioned in the portion I just read is it, it's not just problems getting help. It's not just, you know, fear of interacting. But the other thing is it, it's it's just flat out cheaper. Because when you look at, you know, the, the pressures that you have, even if you can find the help, you know, as we've talked about repeatedly, you know, you're paying $15 an hour, $20 an hour or more for checkout stuff. Once you make the investment in the, the self-service checkout lanes, well, okay, you know, after a certain period of time, whether it's six months or a year or whatever, you get you get your money back. And then, you know, it's all gravy. You say, okay, I, I don't have to hire, you know, warm bodies um, so I have one person that's standing at four checkout things. That's better than having to f- um, hire four checkout people. Yet, I confess, I-, I know how to work it. I've got credit cards. I can do this. I'm, I-, I like to think I'm as smart as the average bear. But I admit, I still, I still try to avoid the self-checkout whenever I can for— I don't know, a variety of reasons. I mean, I know how to do it, but I still I, I still like going to the regular aisle and having, you know, the groceries bagged up themselves unless I just have one or two items. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Self-checkouts in places like grocery stores. Are you adapting to it? Do you choose to go there? Is this the decision you're making? 
Or are you kind of like me saying, you know, I, I, I just, I'll wait a little bit to get that person to ring up the groceries. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Pretty soon, I honest to goodness, don't think a lot of us are going to have a choice because I, I think that this is the, the, the future is calling and somebody's going to answer it regardless of whether or not we like it. But self-checkout lanes, how do you react to that? 855-616-1620, we discuss. They love to hear that and they'll take care of you. My wife texts me. She says, I like self-checkout. I said, well, that's, that, that's, that, that. Okay, well, I, I get it. I understand lots of people do. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I'm a cashier. The biggest problem we have with self-checkout is the amount of theft. One cashier cannot watch every single thing going on at four different registers, and our shoplifting has definitely spiked since the self-checkouts have been installed. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I'm sure that's I'm sure that's true. Some of it is probably just inadvertent. Gee, I I, I rang up the four cans of chili and, and at least I thought I did and I only bar scanned three of it. And but I'm also sure that there are some people for that. Jeff, I love self checkout. I think it's fun. Huh. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know. With all due respect, I I if, if It's many things. I'm not sure I'd use the phrase fun. Jeff, I hate them. Last Sunday, I was at my local store, and they had four of the manned registers open, along with the six self-checkout lanes, and still had lines six to eight people deep. I can't see anyone with a full cart checking checking themselves out faster, and I think it's only going to lead to longer lines. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Mary. Mary, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. I'm Harry. How are you? Good. Okay, self-checkout. Tell me how this works. Do you like it? I don't mind it. Um, for me, some standing in line, but sometimes I know the che- person checking out, and I want to sit and talk with them. Right. But I will tell you, the person that had the most problem, my mom passed away at 87, and until she passed away, she struggled to do self-checkout because it was the thing to do. Right. But she had macular degeneration. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And so reading the scans, knowing for sure that she had scanned something, she would have problems getting her, you know. So there was always somebody there to help her. Right, right. And so if you don't have, if you've got somebody watching over six or seven, in the, you know, scanners, a person who needs help, right. some of them might wanted to rush her. Right. Right. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. No, I um, no. Thank, thanks. For, I mean, and, and that's and, and I, I understand that it's like anything. Look, I get that there there is a learning curve and, and I it, but it's funny. And I'm trying to figure, I'm trying to articulate why I, I, I know how I, I know how to use it. I got the credit card. I, so I, I'm not necessarily intimidated by the technology. Still, I just I, I like the old-fashioned kind of way. Jeff, a friend of mine went to a Walmart in Illinois and did his shopping. He went to check out, and all the cashier stations were closed. Only self-checkout was open. He asked for a cashier to check out and was told he had to use self-checkout. He said he's retired, doesn't work for Walmart, so he left his cart there with about 200 bucks in groceries in the aisle and walked out. Jeff, self-checkout sucks. I'll stand in line before I go to self-checkout. Jeff, 
Self-checkouts are a gift from above. I knew this was going to be an interesting topic. Anything to avoid the disinterested 16-year-old or confused senior citizen checker, I can blow right through there myself. Um, you know, the, the only, I'm trying to think, the, the one thing inevitably when I go to check out and I, I've gone to a grocery store and I'm buying liquor, inevitably I, I go to the I, I go to the checkout thing where the, the, the cashier is underage. And so then they have to find somebody else to scan the liquor. I'm not sure how that works with the self-checkout thing. Um, 855-616-1620. Jeff, self-checkouts are amazing. I've not had crushed bakery or produce in years. Have a good afternoon. Same to you. Um, <laughs> Jeff, maybe eventually they'll start charging people to use the um, person checker line like they charge people who, who use store bags. I think that's an element. Um, Jeff, I choose self-checkout 99% of the time, usually no line. Don't get involved in small talk with the cashier. Jeff, I'm getting used to self-checkout, but like you, will use the regular lanes if available. Why can't they set up the self-checkout with lesser items than they have in the cashier lanes? Yeah, I'm getting a number of texts who say that that's, that's, that's part of the problem. If you have three or four... If you use the self-checkout lanes like you'd use an express aisle, it's a little bit easier. But what happens is if people go with the full shopping carts and they're checking it out, it it sort of ties up the it, – it makes the process longer. 855-616-1620. Marlene. Marlene, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Good afternoon. Um, first of all, I'm a new listener. My mom, who's 90, loves you. She's listened to you for a long time. And now look at me. I'm 68, and now I'm listening to you. Okay, so, no, so um, i got to ask you this. Do you, have then, kid, do you have kids? Do you have kids? They're grown. Well, no, 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 that's fine. So how old are your kids? Uh, 42, 35, and oh, okay. 30. Whatever. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Well. So. So. Here's the mission. Okay. So your mom's got me listening to the program. Now, what I need you to do is get the kids to listen to the program. So that's the kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's going to be a while. That's that's kind of that's kind of the anyway, challenge. Get get them get them to see that. That is so funny. I I never thought I'd listen to you either. But man, here I am. See, so um, get them, and then you and, thought you called in. Go, I don't. I, and I never call in either. My mom's name is Betty, and she loves you. So, anyways. Uh, Okay, so I love the self-checkout lines, and I, I'm not even a computer person, but um, I, I, I will not go, I mean, to anything else but the self-checkout. I've been doing it for a long time, um, and, and you said something about liquor. Well, uh, you know, where I shop, there's like three on one side, three on the other side. There's always one attendant, like if you have liquor, to, right. to check you out, and she's very quick. I mean, she's just watching us do stuff, and... And and for produce, I mean, there's always numbers on your produce that you can, you just right. type in the four numbers, you know, and uh, and then you say how many avocados say you like you have, and mm-hmm. like two or four, press that in and and bag it. And I mean, I I can be in and out of there so fast. Um, and I'm the only one. I mean, I'm I'm sure everything that I bought. Everyone has been touched a million times, you know, putting it on the shelf and everything else. But, but anyways, I, I'm still the only one touching my food at the, you know, the end, and instead of you know the the check the checker okay. and then the beggar and um, and uh, you know, I mean, I've even seen the beggar like putting something on her lips uh, and a cold sore once, and I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah, I think that, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, seriously, that that that. that 
that totally turned me around. And I, I do my, like I said, I, who knows who's touched my my goods before, my canned goods or whatever, but at least I'm not watching that. All right. Marlene, you know? okay, well, thanks for the perspective. Thanks for listening. Say hi to your mom and get your kids on board, too, okay? Thanks a lot. Okay, appreciate it. Right. You no, have a good day. Thanks. You yeah. as well. No, it's so, it, it actually, I, I was, I, I, the, she calls up for the radio talk show for the first time and the host, I'm going, I'm, how, how old are your kids? It's like, well, that's not what I called to talk about. No, it, it actually, one of the interesting things is, and a matter of fact, I was just, Talking to somebody today, I, I it's amazing how many listeners we have in their twenties and thirties who, and I've been doing this now for long enough that they they, they just got they got turned on to this because their folks, you know, started listening and they, they grew up listening to the program, and that's what happens when you do a show, you know, in this market for twenty seven years and on TMJ for going on twenty five years. You you but you, you appreciate that. So I'm that's it. I, I want three generations there. You got mom, you've got, you know, Marlene and needs to get her kids on board with this as well. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's talk to Craig. Craig, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, I guess my point was that when my wife and I go to the grocery store, we we get maybe 20 items or less, but I don't use the self-checkout unless I have only one item and want to get in to get out of there fast. Right. Because the way I look at it is we have to put it in the cart, scan it, bag it, put our money in, and we're not getting a discount for doing all the extra work. I guess I, yeah. I'm a cheapskate on that, I guess. <laughs> but uh, I, I had a friend of mine that had a whole cart full, and he couldn't get into a checkout. And he said, I'll be darned if I'm going to scan it, all this stuff myself. And he, he left the cart sit, and he walked yeah. right out. Yeah, I'm, I, well, I'm thanks. I mean, here, here's the bottom line. This this is the reality. I mean, because, like I say, if nothing else, whether we like it or not, bottom line is once you get these machines installed, it's cheaper. You save on, on that labor cost. I think this is what's going to happen in fast food restaurants. I think that I think there's going to be more kiosk ordering and stuff like that. There's just no, there, there's no doubt about it. So whether we like it or not— it's it's going to be the new reality, so I guess we need to get used to it. Did, did you hear the last caller I had, Marlene? My favorite caller today. We were, we were talking about self-service checkout things. I did. You know, her mom's 90. I never thought I'd call in. never thought I'd be listening. <laughs> She's got me listening, and I, I just kind of went off on my riff. You got kids? Well, yeah, well, get, you got to get them on, because that's it. We, we find multi—that's it, it's how people start. You know, you, you grow up listening to stuff, and then you kind of get hooked, and we've got you for life. That's kind of how it works. And then next thing you know, you end up behind the microphone yourself. Oh, well, could be. Is that how you got started? <laughs> it is. My dad was a big WBBM listener when we were in uh, Chicago and, and Camelax when we were in St. Louis. So when I went to work with him in the summers, it was very early in the morning, and as dads do, he was very interested in the traffic and the weather, so right. BBM was always on. So I think when I was you know, napping in the car on my way to or from work, it just seeped into my oh. brain and... I, I'm, I'm getting I'm getting some of the nicest texts. Jeff, I listened to WTMJ Radio for years while I worked. I actually followed Gene Miller from WKTI. Love your program. I retired a month ago, and now I listen to you on my phone while I do yard work. Um, my son, who is a plumber, he's 35. He listens to you as well. Keep up the good work. Don't you dare retire. <laughs> well, stock market keeps going down. There's no way that's going to happen. <laughs> um, I've been listening to WTMJ since the late 60s because my dad always listened back then. I'm 45. My stepbrother brother is 37 when he was 20 and i was 28 he got me listening to you thank you for all you do how so that that's it we we get them young that's the idea and then we hold on to them you should just end your show for the week today 
They're not going to get any nicer than that, Jeff. You know no, it. No, believe me, they're not going to get any. As a matter of fact, there's been a lot beforehand that, that aren't that – aren't, that's, that's okay. In any given day, people always wonder about this, and I, I think I probably get more texts, I would say, than probably any other show on the station. But a, a slow day – just the text line, slow day will be three or 400, and uh, busy day will be more than that. And pe- that, that's great. People have the diverse opinions, and we, we look at them, and then people wonder, you're not re- reading mine on the air. Well, there's generally a reason why it's not getting read on the air, but what can we say? But we appreciate all our listeners, and now, now I know that's how your career started. Yeah, yeah, I was born into it, I guess you could say. I, I had no other choice. That's how I ended up. Uh-huh. I wanted to write for a magazine when I was a young younger. Oh, this is much, spoken word radio is much more fun than writing for a magazine. Well, that and still relevant. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, good, you know, good yeah. point. No, yeah, it, it turns it, out Sports Illustrator only has about three writers that work there, and you know, being right. one of them is very difficult. And, and and you know, I we're, I'm often I continue to believe that spoken. You know, it, people have been predicting the demise of radio. I mean, since TV came in in, in the fifties, and 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 it's just the, the truth is spoken word. I, I'm not speaking to other forms of radio like music radio and stuff like that. That's a different story with different considerations. But spoken word radio, talking about things that are relevant to people, and if you've got hosts that can somehow figure out ways to do it in an interesting way and connect with the audience, there will always there was going to always be at least some market for that. I think I always like to tell people when I speak to young journalists or, or people in the in the business that it, it radio did die a bunch of different times and. It it always comes back new and improved and, and it finds a way to adapt, which is one of the beauties of this business as we just wax poetic about what we do. But, <laughs> yeah. it, you know, it, the show you're doing was not the same show that people listen to in 1968 right. in 2022. And that's perfectly fine. And we have the flexibility to be able to, to do that. Right. So the radio dying thing, I was always OK with it because it just it's it's still going to be around. So you're either going to die with it or find a way to, to make it new and interesting and and discover just new ways to do it. And that, that's one thing I really enjoy. Text, Jeff, I'm 22. I listen because my older co-worker always played your show. That's great. Um, Jeff, my mom used to play it in the kitchen growing up. Now we listen every day as adults. Well, kiss your mom on the cheek. That's <laughs> that's great. Um, um, I'm 36, been listening to WTMJ since I was 20. I'm a full-day listener. Have a great day. We love the full-day listeners. Yes, you know? don't ever change that dial. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's all, I'm, I'm, I'm late for that. <laughs> but, you know, it, it is interesting. Sometimes people say, well, you know, you, you did that topic on, on Tuesday, and this will be, last Tuesday, you did the topic. And I, I always say, well, a lot of times there'll be something new that's caused me to revisit it, but there are the full-day listeners, the people, God bless you, who get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and turn on the dial, and then, you know, it, it turn it off when you go to bed at 11 o'clock at night. But a, a lot of people, the radio listening is is segmented. It's You, you listen for 30 minutes in the car or, mm-hmm. or whatever. So it, it's just none of us on the air can be arrogant enough to think that just because we talked about something on on Tuesday at 1 o'clock means that there's not this this huge audience out there that that wasn't listening at Tuesday at 1 o'clock. Yeah, no, exactly. And you always like to hear that. Oh, you heard me talk about this, Freddie. That's good, right? That means they're going to be sticking around and hear you talk about it again and then probably again another time. Yeah, absolutely. All right, when we come back, hey, it's something... No surprise that a lot of people weren't watching. Why? I'll explain. We'll discuss. This has just been interesting for me. Jeff, I'm 42 years old. I started listening to 620 on September 11th, 2001. I've been listening ever since. You, uh, you're great. Keep up the awesome work. That's from Stephanie in Oconomowoc. Yeah, that was um, – a lot of times what we find happens is that there's 
There, there might be a seminal event, uh, September 11th would be. When I actually started doing this full-time, which was in the fall of 98, there, there were, it was kind of an interesting time because shortly after I started, you had the, the Bush-Gore election of 2000, and that was the hanging chads thing, and who was the president, and went on for a couple months, and, and that kind of was in my wheelhouse as being a recovering lawyer. And then, you know, you had the terrorist attacks on September 11th, and you had the Milwaukee County pension scandal that was going on then, and it was th- these different events which attracted people to, to the station and attracted people to the program. And, um, you know, that, that was it. And, you know, it, it's, just been, it's just been tremendous ever since then. So I'm, a, lot of, a lot of people just some really very nice remembrances of uh, why people got list, started listening to the program. And, I, again, I, I used to end every program by saying that when, when it comes to your radio listening, I know you've got a lot of different choices, and I do appreciate you spending the last three hours with me. I don't say that. As much as I probably should, but that's the um, that is the honest to goodness truth. As as the program evolves, and I, I do admit that as we get closer to our move, um, we're going to be leaving Radio City. I think everybody knows that, and the that the final the final program from here is going to be a week from from Monday. I mean, I just. I guess it's always subject to change, but um, I, I think September 26th, which I believe is a Monday, will be our our last broadcast, at least my last broadcast from Radio City. I think the ESPN guys might be staying here for another week, but starting Tuesday the 27th, we're going to be at our new digs, and I, I'm I, I admit it's I'm 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 sort of ambivalent about this. It's it's nice, it's new, but you get used to it. This has been home for the longest time. All right, the. Um, the Emmy Awards, and, and we, we talked about this before the Emmy Awards happened, and, and I was just, I, I had no interest in watching them, and my I'll, many of you that called in had no interest in watching them, and one of my theories was that was because with, with TV viewing so fragmented, most people hadn't seen most of the shows. I mean, like I said, when when I was growing up, there were this was before streaming. It was before the proliferation of cable TV. You had ABC, NBC, CBS, and you had PBS, and that was pretty much it. So everybody knew the various shows that were on Friday night. These are the shows that are on. It, you know, and you know, shows would would succeed or fail or whatever. But there was a limited universe of shows that people could watch. Now there, there's just there. I think there there was. I think I saw that there's like 568 scripted TV shows this year alone. You can't watch 568 TV scripted TV shows, and of course they're stretched across you know all the different cable channels and all the different streaming channels and things like that. I think you just can't keep track of what's going on, and it's so it's it's like you don't have a vested interest in this. So I, I didn't think there was going to be a lot of people that were, you know, watching the Emmys, and there weren't. Here's the headline. Emmy Awards viewership dives to all-time low, down double digits from 2021 and from the last broadcast on NBC. Um, let's see. It was just you know, this was the first time the Emmys had aired on a Monday night. Apparently, they they moved it um, to Monday. It was on NBC because they didn't want to try to preempt or compete with the NFL football on Sunday night. And the numbers, well, get this, um, the 74th Primetime Emmy Awards drew 5.9 million viewers and a 1.09 rating. 
That's an all-time low for TV's biggest night, which also streamed on Peacock. In context, that's down 19% in sets of eyeballs from the... 73rd Emmys, which was on CBS. Um, and then it's it's up slightly from the people who watched during the semi-virtual um, thing in, in 2020. But the, the bottom line is it, the, the numbers just completely fell out. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We, we've only... We've only got a couple minutes before I have to turn it over to Wisconsin's afternoon news. I, I just think that there's more interest now in TV and scripted programs than ever. But this, this idea that we're ever going to have a particular TV show, for example, that everybody watches, like everybody watched the end of MASH or everybody watched this to see who it was that killed uh, JR, th- those days are done. We're never going to do numbers like that again. Do you think? We discuss in a moment. The listener texts are still pouring in. Jeff, your station is the only station that come in on my radio when I was working in Waukesha. Got used to listening to you, even though you hack me off, although he doesn't say hack me off. He uses a different word. Even though you hack me off half the time. Can't stop listening. Keep up the good work. My response was, you're in the category of listeners we call the I hate you every day, folks. Glad to have you agree or disagree. I, I'm Just a couple comments on, on the Emmy Awards that I, I guess it's, Award shows used to be a big thing, and the Oscars used to be a big thing, the Emmys, which on our TV used to be a big thing, the Tonys, which are for stage, were were a thing, not maybe as big a thing, just because a lot of people don't get to go to New York and see Broadway shows and things of the like, but the, the numbers of people who watched the live show on Monday night were just Absolutely. I mean, they're pathetic. And, and I think it's it's not because people aren't interested in watching TV and it's not because people don't watch these shows. It's just because there's so many choices out there that I, I mean, I'll tell you, when, when we do Pop Culture Corner on Fridays, I, I it's it's almost difficult to talk about current TV shows because there's so many shows out there that so many of you haven't seen because there's, you know, if, if you've got maybe you've got Netflix or you've got HBO Max, well, you see certain shows, but you don't, you don't have Peacock or you don't have Hulu or you don't have Amazon Prime or, you know, you've cut the cord with cable. So you don't have these things and, and you can't you can't see the, these shows if you don't have all that stuff. And so the, the potential audiences are just so limited. And I think it's, it's why it's difficult to have a conversation because people say, oh, I, I saw I hear Ted Lasso is a really good show, but I don't have Apple TV, and so I, I've never seen it. I have no frame of reference. Oh, I, I hear the amazing Mrs. Maisel is a tremendous show, both of which are, by the way. But I, you know, you don't have Amazon Prime, so you don't carry that. It's just, it's everything has become so very, very fragmented that the the days of these huge breakout hits, as far as numbers of, of eyeballs and stuff, I think it's over. Jeff, I was one of those diminishing number who watched part of the Emmys live. I was annoyed by a stunt where Jason Sudeikis, who's, that's Ted uh, Lasso, presented jointly with Jimmy Kimmel, who stayed on the floor acting unconscious, holding the results envelope after being dragged in, lying on his back by um, Sudeikis. Dumb, and I felt like it wasted my, my time. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that's, that's it. If, if you're going to have these award shows, you've got to figure out a way to be entertaining. And I think also 
let's face it, one of the reasons that people get turned off at them is that we don't necessarily want to be lectured to by by the Hollywood elite and stuff like that. I think that's caused a backlash. But, the, you know, I, I think these days of big numbers for award shows, you know, they're history. 